Friends, as we are making our way back to our seats, I just want to remind you, or perhaps you're a visitor with us, that uh, bring you up to speed. But throughout the fall season, uh, from harvest time all the way up to the Advent season, we have been looking at, in Scripture, some of the many, many questions that Jesus asked during His public ministry. As we've shared in the past, Jesus asked far more questions then he gave direct answers to. When we think of a person in authority, especially a wise or learned teacher, we think the teachers are there to give answers, to answer the questions of the students. But we see that one of the most key parts of Jesus' teaching method was to ask questions. And as we'll see today, his questions, often they revealed to the listeners something important about themselves. It caused them to examine these unexamined areas of our lives. And the question Jesus asks today, He shines a spotlight into our hearts. Remember the question He asked recently as we looked at, where He asked, what do the people say about me? How about you? What do you say? Who do you think that I am? And it's a question that looked at our faith. Who do we really trust Jesus as? A great teacher? A man from history? Uh, a good idea, a notion, uh, uh, something that humans can aspire to? Or is he really the Son of God who came to take away the sin of the world? The Lamb of God, as John the Baptist called him. Well, today's question is similar, and it follows just uh, very soon after the question we looked at last week. As Mary Magdalene was weeping, she thought someone had stolen Jesus' body. She didn't understand the reality and the power of the resurrection. And so the risen Lord asks her that wonderful question, Woman, why are you crying? There's no reason to cry Jesus is risen. What a wonderful, powerful question that was. Well, that was in John 20. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open it and keep your thumb in John chapter 21. Because as Kevin read during the worship package, there's a series of questions that Jesus asks that shines a spotlight into our hearts. Well, men, I apologize. This is one of those sermons that uh, it's kind of uncomfortable for men to listen to because we're talking about emotions. We're talking about hearts. And I know, yes, we do have hearts, but we don't like to admit to it. We don't like to let it shine out. But this is one of those, and it's about love. And it's kind of painful for me because it's not even Valentine's Day, and I'm going to talk about love. No, it's not painful at all. I want to start with something. It was actually an idea of a man named Tom Lawson began a series of, uh, began a sermon years and years ago, about 20 years ago, talking about how much he loved his wife. And I think he per- first preached that sermon around Valentine's Day. And I want to share with you what he said that morning. He said, I love my wife. I love my wife. He says, do you believe that I love her? He says, there are times that I I don't enjoy being with her, but I love her. And there's times that I don't even want to talk to her, but I love her. I might go for days without talking to her, but I love her. When I do talk to her, it's usually because I want something from her or to ask something of her. And, and maybe for a few seconds, I'll talk to her before we eat, but, but I love her. When I do talk to her, I find my mind wandering, thinking about other things but I love her. She's not part of my everyday life. Don't get me wrong. I think about her more on Sunday mornings than any other time of the week. I meet with other husbands. We sing some songs about our wives. I'll even talk publicly to the rest of the husbands for about 30 minutes about how much I love her. She writes me love letters, 
I don't read them much, not very often, but I love my wife. I give her a little pocket change every week, so long as it doesn't cut in very deeply into how much I want to spend my money, but I love my wife. I just don't care to have her much, very much part of my life or much to do with her or to make her part of my everyday life. But I love my wife. Of course, he was drawing the connection between how we treat Jesus and how we treat our significant people in our lives. If you really treated your spouse exactly like you treated your relationship with Jesus, would you stay married very long? Probably not. Or if you did, it would be very distant and loveless marriage. But I love my wife. Do we really? And this gets to the question that, as we heard earlier, that Jesus, the risen Lord, on the lake in Galilee, asked the apostle Peter. He asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, we heard there the uh, setting. I just want to set again the setting of these questions. It was a breakfast on the lakeshore. In Sunday school, one of the best parts of the series we're watching in the video series is the beautiful pictures and videos of the Sea of Galilee. I mentioned, for instance, the reason it was called the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias is that in Hebrew, the people who lived around the lake, they didn't have a different word for lake than they used for the Mediterranean Sea. They only had one word for the large bodies of water, so it was the Sea of Galilee. It was the lake in Galilee, 13 miles north to south, about seven or eight miles east to west. This is where Peter and a number of the early followers of Jesus, a number of the twelve, the apostles, made their living as fishermen, tax collectors. Many of them lived around that lake and took their living from it. And so it's interesting that in the days following the resurrection, it seems Jesus, by the time we get to John 21, had appeared on two separate occasions to the disciples. Remember, they were down in Jerusalem, it was behind locked doors, and suddenly Jesus, the risen Lord in a glorified body, which sometimes was easily recognizable, but if he desired, would be a little more difficult to recognize, he appeared among them. Locked doors couldn't hold him out. The first time, remember, Thomas missed it, and then he said, unless I put my hand into the wounds, I won't believe he's risen. And so on the second occasion, Thomas was there. Well, now we see the third time where Jesus and the surviving apostles are gathered together. But just as he told the ladies to pass on to the disciples that they were to eventually go north to the Galilee and he would meet them where so much of their ministry was, he would go ahead of them and be waiting there for them. And as soon as they went, you think they would be preaching, teaching, but no. How easily they clicked back into their former pre-Christian way of life, the way they lived before they met Jesus. We see them as we first saw them, fishermen all night, frustrated, not catching anything out on the lake. And then as the sun begins to come up, they can make out a figure along the shoreline. They might be able to even, if the wind is from the north, catch a whiff of a fire. There's a charcoal fire and something even better, there's breakfast cooking on the fire. And Jesus called them in. And we know as they called him in, he told them to put their net down on the other side of the boat, and there they caught an enormous catch of fish. 
<laughs> as the fisherman recorded, as you see in John, he said 153 big fish and the nets didn't even tear. That itself was a miracle. And that called to mind a similar miraculous catch earlier in the ministry. So immediately, though in the darkness, they didn't recognize Jesus at the distance, Peter and John knew it was the Lord. Peter dives in the water, goes ashore. The others struggle and pull the large catch ashore. And there's Jesus with breakfast waiting for them. And rather than scolding Peter publicly for his failure and his betrayal of Jesus on the night that he was crucified, Jesus calls them in. And as you need to do with men before you talk about their hearts, you got to take care of their stomachs. <laughs> Jesus is wise. He knows us. So he fed them. And they were prepared to listen to what he had to say. We see the setting of that in John chapter 21. I'll begin reading in verse 12. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time <clears throat> Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And it's fascinating to me that it's in the dark of the morning. It's a cold morning, no doubt, up in the, uh, the Galilee region. And there they're gathered around a charcoal fire. And none of the others, perhaps John, but Peter for sure, would have thought that just short days before, he was gathered around a charcoal fire early in the morning, but was in the courtyard of the high priest. And that was the location of his greatest failure. As fearfully, before a little serving girl, he denied Jesus and publicly cursed his name. And here they were gathered around a fire. So it must have been on everybody's hearts and minds. And Jesus let them eat before he broached the big question. As he begins, secondly, we look at Jesus' question. <clears throat> he questions not Peter's actions, but the heart behind his actions. He questions Peter's heart. Continue reading in John chapter 21, pick up in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Commentators and Christians for 2,000 years have looked at this conversation and they have interpreted or got many, many important points out of it. No doubt, if you've been in uh, church land for any length of time in your life, you've heard a pastor preach about the Greek words for love and how they use different ones. Jesus begins with agapao, which is a divine, a holy, a pure, a selfless love. And Peter answers, you know I love you, using phileo, a more common love, like brotherly love, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, Adelphos' brother, Phila. But the reality is they probably weren't speaking Greek. In fact, anytime Jesus' words are directly quoted, 
they're always in Aramaic, or the mother language, Hebrew. When he raises the little girl, Jairus' daughter, from the dead, he says, Talitha kume, little girl, rise up. When he cries out, as we saw on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He's speaking Hebrew, which the Aramaic speakers weren't very fluent in, and they misunderstood what he was saying. The reality is they could have spoken Greek because this is Galilee of the Gentiles, that it was the market language with the Roman soldiers camped up there and uh, the interchange. They no doubt understood Greek. As we'll see in the weeks ahead, Jesus converses with Pontius Pilate. Pilate didn't speak Aramaic. Pilate didn't speak Hebrew. Pilate spoke Latin and Greek. So very likely the common language they spoke was Greek in that situation. And it makes a wonderful story. Jesus asks for selfless love. And Peter just offers human love. And then Jesus finally lowers himself. Do you even just, are you fond of me? Do you kind of like me? But that doesn't seem to be the dynamic. It seems to be the triple question that breaks Peter's heart, calling to mind his threefold denial. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, Jesus said. They all heard it, and it came true. And now Jesus is restoring Peter to a place of ministry. It's fascinating, and it's beautiful. But I think the point was that Peter needed to be renewed in the eyes of his fellow apostles. I think it's, it's very important what Jesus calls Peter. John's calling him Simon Peter, as he often does, because John knew him before they knew Jesus. The name Shimon, Simon, as we heard in Sunday school, was a common name in the Galilee in those times. Peter was the special nickname that Jesus gave to Simon. It meant rock, the stable one, the strong one. It was a wonderful name. But here he calls him Simon, son of John. Jesus is going right back to the beginning. It's as if he's meeting him and calling him for the first time. Simon, son of John. It's a reset, a start over, a renewal. And Peter needs that in the eyes of the other apostles. But Jesus is questioning his heart. Now this morning in the time remaining, we want to look a little closer at the first of that threefold question that Jesus asks. He asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Now you notice it's the only time he poses the question that way. And yes, the Greek words for love are different, but John often used synonymous words just as part of his writing style. As we know, when you read them in English, it's just love, 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 and that's how it would have heard and sounded in Aramaic as well. So, in fact, the English translation is, is very accurate, I think, in this re- reference. But here he asked, do you love me more than these? question is, that word can refer to many different things. What's he actually talking about? And I think each one of those possibilities speaks to your and my situations in relationship to Christ as well. What's he referring to? Well, the major suggestions is one way it can perfectly, accurately be read is Simon, son of John, do you love me more 
than these people love me? Do you love me more than these others around? Or do you love me more than you love these others? He says, Simon, you have to choose. Do you love these guys you're hanging out with, your fishing buddies, your cousins, all of these men? Do you love them more than you love me? Do you love me more than these? And, you know, we, we say, no, that's probably the least accurate one. Do you love me more than you love these guys? Because they all put Jesus first, whether they let him down or not. But the fact is, we don't often do that. The reality is, we often choose people before Christ. How many times a parent or grandparent's heart has been broken when a child who was raised in a believing atmosphere chooses a spouse, an unbelieving spouse, or even a spouse from a different faith background ahead of Christ? Well, it's one thing to follow your heart and get married to a different person from a different background. happens all the time. But in doing so, many people turn their back on Christ. They reject Him completely. And they leave. You love me more than you love these? Well, there the answer is obviously no. And in the truth be told, many times we will put our spouses, our children, our loved ones ahead of Christ. I know it's parents of missionaries. You think, oh, they'd be so proud. Their sons, their daughters going to other cultures to share the, share the good news of the gospel. Sure, it's dangerous. Sure, you won't see them for years at a time. Sure, your family loses a person, and, but you must be so proud. And how many of these parents I've talked to, their hearts are broken. They said, this is not my will. I would rather them stay home, not be a missionary, and stay home and be close. It's a human thing. It's a heart thing. Jesus took that very seriously. He says, for instance, one of those unpopular sayings of Jesus, he said, unless your love for your family, your loved ones, your friends, in comparison to my, the love you have for me, it should be like hate. That's the gap between your love for God, your love for Christ, and your love for your family. It should seem like hate. That's hard to hear. But we read it in Luke chapter 14 beginning in verse 25. The large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You have to love Jesus not only more than you love any other person, but more than life itself. That's the difference. So that might not have been what Jesus meant when he asked Peter, do you love me more than these? But he needs to ask that of us every day. Well, a second thing is maybe he was referring to they're on the beach. They've just pulled up the boats. The fish are there. The nets are there. Maybe he's gesturing to those things, the, 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 the profession, the job, all that Peter has been and done throughout his life. Sometimes, especially men, <clears throat> you ask us who we are before anything else will tell you our job. Who are you? Husband, child of God, follower of Christ? No, I'm a farmer. <laughs> I'm a mechanic. 
We'll tell you what we do. That is important to how we see ourselves. It's precious to us. And is Jesus asking Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The nets and the weights and the fish and the boats and the lake. You love me more than your job or the wealth and possessions you gain from it? Oh boy, that hits closer to home. We who live in a rich Western materialistic country, you know, we, we don't even know we live there because we've lived there our whole lives. We've never lived in other settings of poverty where people struggle for daily necessities. It always seems to come so easy. And do we put those ahead of our love for Christ? I love Jesus just like I love my wife, but as long as it doesn't cut into all the things I really enjoy. You love me more than job and possessions. Well, again in Luke chapter 8, 18 rather, a little further from chapter 14, Luke 18 verse 28, Peter said, we have left all we had to follow you. And he's listing everything. He got out of his boats, left, left the family business, left the family, left everything to follow Jesus. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. God recognizes that this is a choice we have to make to put Christ following Jesus ahead of the things of this world. Because those things can very quickly, if left in their place, become an idol. Remember, an idol is not just a statue that people bow down to in ancient times. An idol can be anything that comes in the place of God, that we put in a place of reverence, a place of importance in our life. What does your life circle around? Is it your job, your family, your toys? Or is your heart really Christ-centered, Christocentric? That's what the Apostle Paul writes about, the danger of that in Colossians chapter 3. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. A little further down. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Things of the world, jobs and possessions. Every time Peter says, yes, yes, I do. Yes, I love you more. Chuck Lorre, some of you remember, you saw recently the, the good recreation of the Jesus People movement. Chuck Lorre, who was front and center as a character in that movie, The Jesus Revolution, he says this. Here's a quote from him. He says, Loving God more than anyone or anything else is the very foundation of being a disciple. If you want to live your Christian life to its fullest, then love Jesus more than anyone or anything else. It's foundational. And it's a heart thing. We often focus so much on right thinking, what we believe, and that's important. That's our faith. But it's all about love. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Loving God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. And finally, the third, and I believe from the context, it's obvious what Jesus is talking about because of the setting and the threefold question. He's asking Peter, do you love me more than these 
other apostles sitting around the fire because Peter had made that boast repeatedly in Scripture that everybody else is going to deny him, everybody else is going to let him down, but Peter says, I never will. And just a couple of those situations where Peter did that, for instance, in Matthew chapter 26, Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. In John 13, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter was impulsive, impetuous, strong-willed, self-confident, but his love was human. Let him down. And friends, we talk about love here, but we're really talking about God's love. Peter needed to love Jesus with a love that came from Jesus because human love, all you need to do, as precious as it is, we all, we all love love. Let's be honest about that. We often think back to those younger days, those early stirrings of love, your first crush on somebody, your first kiss. We make a big deal in our society about human love. And as beautiful as it can be, it will let you down time and again. I think of the, I think of the loveless marriages are those that end up in divorce court. I think, of, I think of friendships that once were strong but now are broken and you never speak again. I think of children estranged from their parents for years. And I see the failings and the fragility of human hearts and human love. But we need the love of God. We need to share with those we care about something better than we have on our own. For without love, what are we? Without love. That's the question the Apostle Paul asks. He's writing to a church in Corinth that's fighting over so many things. Oh, I speak in tongues and I have this gift and I do this and I do that. And they're all talking about doing, doing, doing. And Paul says, I'll show you the most excellent way. It doesn't start with what you do with your hands or say with your mouth or how you're seen in public. It, it starts in the heart starts in the heart. You can be the best, the most religious. You can be anything like that. But if you lack the love of God in your heart, what really are you? The love chapter, we read it at weddings, but it's really about church and Christian life with one another, living life together. Paul writes to that church and he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. What I say is of no purpose, no use. I say nothing, I am nothing, I gain nothing apart from the love of Christ. It's not our love that we want to share. It's God's love. The selfless, sacrificial love revealed to us in Jesus' death for us, the good news of the gospel. And we finish with that this morning, friends, the answer that we all need to answer God's question to us, do you love me more than these is God's love. God's love for us. God's love in us. 
God's love through us. It's all about God's love. That needs to be the essential ingredient in our lives. First John, John the, the apostle of love, he got it. He started out as an angry young man, the sons of thunder. But by the end, John the elder is the apostle of love. And reflecting from decades distance on his time spent walking by the lake with Jesus and seeing now a young, burgeoning, growing church throughout the ancient world and how they related to one another, John reminds them once again of that essential ingredient of love. In 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, Jesus, or Paul, or John writes rather, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed us, showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And not with our human, failable, fragile, short-term love, but with the love of God. God's love in us, through us, God's love for us. That's what we need. We finish with C.S. Lewis. He said something very wise in this regard. C.S. Lewis said, When we have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, and whatever that earthly dearest is for you, your spouse, your children, your toys, your life, your health, whatever it may be, when we have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. If you want to truly love your family, your spouse, your community, your church, you love God with all your heart. And then you will love them better than you do now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father is... Jesus asked Peter on the lake shore those years ago, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Father, his question, the word of God echoes in our hearts and ears with power. Do we love Jesus more than others around us? Our family, our loved ones? Do we love more, Jesus more than we love our jobs, our possessions? the things of this world. Lord, when we love Jesus with all our heart, everything else falls into its right place. And we are able to love with the love we have received. Not that we love God, but that He first loved us. And with that love, Lord, a love that moves us to action, motivated, Lord, not by self-interest, but from the love of Christ and His love for others. Lord, may we be known as people, not who keep rules, people who do this or that, but people who love Christ. And be, may it be reflected in our caring relationships for those around us. Father, this is our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' loving name. Amen.
God bless you and keep you. You're dismissed.